While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. And... I think it's quite touching that we are looking at this subject of generosity at a time like this, and particularly in view of the events of this week. Um, Because I think has been said in many articles and on many programs uh, really this week is that we've seen the best and the worst of humankind. And we've seen them in juxtaposition, a bit like we do here in this passage We've seen man at his most desperate and uh, lowest and also at his most beautiful. Uh, One of the pictures, and I didn't feel it was appropriate to actually show the picture, but one of the pictures that stayed with me is the picture of the London attacker on a stretcher and two of the police are trying to revive him along with paramedics and those would have been the police that have just witnessed one of their own being taken. Um, That's extraordinary, isn't it? And actually, that lifts my heart. In other words, we, we could easily despair this week. But there is something incredibly beautiful about the way that the emergency services, the general public, everyone said that the darkness would not put out the light and that actually we would stay generous no matter what. Um, And I think as we look at this passage, there is that same juxtaposition of a beautiful heart, an unconditionally loving heart, and also the critics, and the critics swirling around and really berating what this one woman in some of the Gospels, she's called Mary in this Gospel, she's not given even a name, But what Jesus does say is that this act will be remembered as the gospel is preached throughout the world. He puts huge value on this. We do not often hear Jesus say that, do we? We often hear him saying, keep quiet about this when it's something he's done. But because he is so touched by this act of generosity, he says that this story will be told and told. And as we look at it today, we're actually following that commission. And in church life, in life, in where you work, where you live, where you interact, we will see these different things around us, these different attitudes to a generous heart. But we also know, if we're even more honest, that we will see them in our hearts as well. 
that we know we have the capacity to be incredibly generous, but we also know, if we're honest, that sometimes we have the capacity to be critical, to have a critical spirit, to have a spirit that is about a scarcity culture. And we live in an age that scarcity is actually kind of preach subliminally, isn't it? We wake up, and uh, parents here will uh, nod as they did in Mosley last week, we wake up with a feeling we've not had enough sleep. Um, and some of you will resonate with that. Well, that's maybe the first thing we say, I have not had enough sleep, I've not got enough time, I haven't got enough money, I haven't got enough friends, I didn't get enough likes on Facebook, whatever it is, that scarcity can actually breathe into our thinking, can't it? And we can see what we lack rather than all that we have. And actually here in the UK, even though it's a difficult time, really, really tough season to be in the UK in many ways. We do have a lot to be grateful for. And interestingly, sin entered the world when man stopped being grateful. If we look back right to the beginning of Genesis, the very first thing that Adam and Eve, if you like, get wrong is they stop being grateful for the paradise that God has given them because they see the one thing in the fruit tree of knowledge that they want. And I think it's so with us. When we are grateful, we can be generous. When we see all that God has given us, as we do today, as we celebrate parenting, as we celebrate those who've parented us, we see the generosity of God. And actually, in our gratitude, something flows out of us that we want to be generous. Um, some of you know um, I've been... Um, working in Colorado, suffering for the gospel uh, over the last couple of weeks. And uh, one of the things that struck me, uh, one of those videos was from there that we watched earlier. But one um, that really struck me was uh, a woman who um, actually kept giving her money away. She had a double hip operation. She could barely walk, but she worked in a bakery. And uh, her role in that bakery was way more than selling bread. In fact, that was a lesser role to the role that she really played which was that she would have people come into the shop and she would say, is there any way I can pray for you or help you? And just with this lady, they would share needs for prayer, they would share needs that they had. And one such need was a widow who shared with her that she had a real desperate need for finance. And this lady who'd, who'd had multiple injuries, as I said, had saved up $5,000 of her own money as a single mum because she really needed a car for her and her daughter. She'd saved up that amount, which is a lot of money on a baker's wage. And she'd saved up that amount, but as soon as she heard that there was a widow in the bakery community that needed it, what did she do? She gave it all away again. And so she had nothing, so her, her car fund went down to nothing. But actually, in that community, there were people who heard about the fact that she had done this, and they all clubbed together to buy her uh, a brand new car, and um, drove up outside the bakery where she worked. All of them get out and uh, just applauded her as she came out. And I uh, saw wonderful footage of her driving this new car away and putting her hands in the air thanking God and almost nearly crashing because she was so, so profoundly, overwhelmingly grateful. But what was interesting was the contagious joy that spread from that. Meanness in us leads to us feeling down. It leads to despair. 
generosity of heart in us lifts us, but it lifts those around us. It lifts all of us. And uh, it's really touched watching Frame of Mind at the Mac from the RPA guys last uh, night, actually, uh, with what they shared about their own experiences within mental health. Not looking at anecdotes that are external and theoretical, but actually making themselves vulnerable. Actually saying we're prepared to give of ourselves, whatever their stories were. And I, I thought it was absolutely brilliant and uh, a real witness uh, in our community. So as we look at this lady and we look what she does for Jesus, what she does is prophetic in that actually she anoints him for burial. I'm not sure she knows that's what she's doing at the time, but it's such an act of extravagant love and worship that she does it anyway. She does it in a prophetic way, but she also does it in the way of a priest which would have been incredible for a woman to do that in her time, that actually she anoints Jesus. And in some of the Gospels, it's on his head. Uh, in one, it's on his feet. But nevertheless, there's something in her that sees in this generous act that she is worshipping someone who is worthy of worship. Now, that's okay, because we kind of know that Jesus is worthy of our worship if we're Christians today, or maybe we're coming and exploring whether he's worthy of it. And I would say he's been worthy of my worship all my life. But what about those who don't deserve our generosity? What about the picture of those two police officers treating the guy who's just killed one of their friends? Because that's a different kind of generosity, isn't it? That's the kind of generosity that we also see in scripture that gives to the unlovely, to the sinner, to the one who is least seemingly worthy of that love. And in our lives, people will come and go, but there will be people, even today maybe, as we think of our childhood, who we, we feel very, very much painful towards. That actually we don't feel grateful, if we're honest. That we might feel the antithesis, even, of that gratitude. And yet, Jesus says, love them too. Love them too. Because why? Because actually it sets you free. This generosity of heart is a heart of grateful grace. Grateful grace. And only Jesus, in my experience, can help us do that. We can grit our teeth and try to forgive, but actually there's a work of the Spirit that happens that helps us reach out to the hand of forgiveness where that's incredibly hard for us to do. In the book of Genesis, at the end of the book, we read about Joseph. If you know the story of Joseph, he's mistreated by his brothers. Boy, that's a dysfunctional family, isn't it? If we were all come from those kind of families. And there's been some really, really tough stuff for Joseph. He was 17 when his brothers literally stabbed him in the back, put him into the pit, uh, threw him into a cistern. He goes off, he's sold as a slave. He goes on to prison. And yet... When he is reunited at the age of 30 with his brothers, he is hugely generous towards them. They do not deserve his love, his generosity, any of it. But he reinstates them in such a way, so much love that we hear his crying and his emotion on being reunited with them was so loud it reached the attention of all around 
Such was the generosity of heart that I believe God gave to Joseph and can give to us. Uh, years ago, I worked in Bulgaria for a while and uh, worked um, going round uh, different homes and different orphanages uh, using performance and theatre to try and do a little bit of what we heard about in the video, building the bridge culturally. Uh, but one such place was a place called Dragodanovo, uh, which was a really, really harrowing place to go to, uh, even though it was only in Eastern Europe. Uh, it's like going back in time. And there, uh, it's a kind of grey building like a sort of uh, Second World War prison camp in many ways and children as young as eight are held there uh, uh, really because they've stolen food for their families. One girl was there because she'd stolen apples and potatoes to feed her family at the, at the age of eight. So it's almost like a young offenders institute here but way worse. And we were going and ladies back at home in Dudley where we came from had sent out quilt covers for all of the beds of these children. They'd hand sewn them and sent them out so that every child could at least have a cover for their bed. Uh, and uh, we went out really uh, to, to sort of see how they were getting on. I hadn't sewn anything. I felt they'd suffered enough, so I didn't um, <laughs> sew anything for them. But I did go really to represent those women and those people who'd done that. And uh, we arrived, and I was very nervous, very wary of what it would be like when suddenly this kind of coloured river of children with different shapes, sizes and, and uh, clothing that, that many of you will you know, know, just misshapen, brightly coloured, misfitted, whatever, coming way towards you with this gem generous outpouring of love and uh, one particular little boy held on to my hand and wanted to show me the cover uh, that he associated with salt mine the charity that I was with and uh, took me across to see the cover on his bed and he was in a dormitory of about 20 children and I looked across and actually each of the tables by the beds are a kind of status if you like in that they have on that table anything they own anything they own, a bit like prisons in this country do a similar thing. So they display what they own and there were teddies and little blankets and little puzzles and pictures and different things on all the tables. But on this little boy's table, there was only one thing. And because of my scarcity mentality, my kind of Western consumerism, I'm a sorry girl, I like nice things, I've said that to you before, and actually suddenly I'm, I'm conscious of what he lacks more than anything else, that he's only got one little calendar by his bed with animal pictures on, and I'm guessing Bible verses in Bulgarian. So because of, of who I am and what I think he needs, I start stroking this fox's face that's on the calendar and saying how much I love the calendar. Um, even though I can't speak Bulgarian, I'm just saying, this is beautiful, I love it, stroking, stroking, and he's probably thinking, why is this woman obsessed with uh, rodents and foxes or whatever, I don't know. Um, but he seemed really pleased that I liked what he had so much. And so I felt good. I thought, oh, that's good. I've affirmed him, if you like, by liking the only object that he possesses other than his cover, seemingly. And then we spent the day with them. We did workshops. We did different things. And I became, as you can imagine, incredibly attached to many of them, particularly this little one. Um, but actually, at the end of the day, as we know, you have to go and get on the bus and go away again. And as we were going away, which is hard to do, this little hand came and pulled at my skirt. And it was this little boy. And there in his outstretched hand is the calendar. And he's for you, for you. And he's giving it away. And I mean, 
uh, what do you do in that situation? You kind of don't know really what to do. I wanted to say, please don't, it's all you've got. But I did take it because I, I believed, you know, and I do believe that was the right thing to do. But my lasting memory from that story was the little boy's face. That as he gave it to me, the thing that came to my mind is when in the Bible it says, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Because I've grown up thinking it's more blessed to receive. And suddenly there I have this picture of a little boy looking up at me and wanting me to have the crazy fox picture that I thought was so lovely, thinking that perhaps my life depended on owning that. And I've kept that. I even kept the physical calendar for many years. I don't know where it is now, but I kept it for many years as a reminder of God's generosity to me through his people, through children like that, but actually to stay generous in how we uh, live alongside one another. And actually, in Scripture, all the way through, from Genesis through to Revelation at the end, we see the generosity of God. We see him pursuing us with his love, with his grace, and actually, at the end of the story, uh, at the end of uh, Revelation, we see that that generosity will be reinstated, if you like, in the way that the universe is. God is the greatest giver in the universe. He will not let you outgive him. That is true. It's one thing we're allowed to test him in, <laughs> is actually that we can test that. We cannot outgive God. Uh, Cory Ten Boom says, the measure of a life after all is not its duration, but its donation. And that can be in a variety of ways. We saw the stand-up comic, he says, what can I give? I can give laughter. He can give something freely. And as we're looking at generosity, and I think we've done challenges over the weeks, but I, my challenge to you this week is bless someone in secret. Do something generous that they will not know is you. And I'll tell you why. That's not because we're playing some sort of weird game. The reason for that is if I receive something through my door in my porch, I'll give you the number of my road, <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I'll just leave the doors open, you know. Um, but if I receive something and I have no idea who it's from, and maybe I'm praying for that thing or that amount of money, whatever it is, I have no one to thank but God in my life. Nobody to thank but him because I don't know who it is. So I can only say, God, thank you that you knew that I needed that and you told that person to do that thing. That's amazing. That is the economy of God. And he says we can test this out. And I get excited by it, even just the thought of us doing it now. But if I know that somebody does that and they put with lots of love from so-and-so, whatever, it's great and it, it really increases my joy and it increases my gratitude to that person. But there's something about generosity in secret that does something even more in terms of our worship towards God. So that's the challenge this week. I hope we have fun with it. I know the young people have been doing it quite a bit with secret angels and different things. And I know for my goddaughter how much that uh, blessed her, actually, in something that spoke profoundly into her life, that a secret gift, something that can just come along that we weren't expecting, can really increase our faith in God. Generosity is in creation. It's in the cross of Jesus Christ. It's in the whole of the story of God and the Trinity. 
And as we come to an end this morning, and as we start to look into our week, um, there's a great quote from Tim Keller that um, really impacts me. It says this, when Jesus looked down from the cross, he didn't think I'm giving myself to you because you're so attractive to me. He was in agony. And he looked at us denying him, abandoning him, betraying him, and in the greatest act of history, he stayed. He loved us not because we were so lovely to him, but to make us lovely. And I think we have there perhaps the most generous act of all. And that he didn't do that because we deserved it. It's easier to be generous when someone deserves it. This woman in the Gospel of Mark knows somehow prophetically that Jesus deserves her worship. But actually Judas is the end of the passage, isn't he? And some commentators link the fact that Judas was so outraged by this act that it drove him even further into his plot to betray Jesus. That actually the waste, the money that was wasted by this woman made him really furious. And maybe it's because it challenges us. If that's a year's wages or even a month's wages, whatever it is, think of what that might represent in your life. To give that all away. We do not hear this woman dealt in measures. We don't hear that she measured carefully the oil that she could spare. The reason the guys talked about a monologue, which was not their fault, by the way, um, was because we used that last week. Uh, and uh, it was a monologue that I wrote, actually, uh, when I was uh, having some time after my mum had died years ago. And it was based on this passage. And the reason I wrote it was because... God really challenged me with this, this scripture, really challenged me. And he said to me, is that you? Is that how you love me? Because I'm an extravagant person. And he said, do you love me like that, Judy? Is that how you love me? Or is it the last few drops at the end of the bottle of perfume, what you can spare at the end of the month, rather than what you would give at the beginning? The last few drops at the end of the bottle of perfume, or the whole thing? And God's call is that generously he has given his all on the cross for us. He's given us everything. He gave us life. He gave us his death. Let's not hold back in loving him. And let's not hold back in loving one another. Even the most unlovely and the most difficult to love. Because in doing that, we become more lovely. Let's pray.